Welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders podcast, the podcast that takes you through interviews with some of the most interesting and inspiring entrepreneurial figures in the UK and some of the ecosystem supporters around it. And this week we have, I guess like every week, a special guest. We have the 24-year-old entrepreneur, blogger, vlogger, uh, angel investor and motivational speaker that is Stephen Bartlett. So if you've got uh, Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Instagram, there's a very good chance you'll have seen some of his content popping up and populating in your feed because the guy knows a thing or two about social media reach. He's 24 years old and he's been doing this already for six years. And he takes us through his journey, which, to be honest, um, has been tough. You know, he's, he, he runs a company in Manchester. He's got 100 plus employees, uh, offices now around the world in Manchester, Berlin and New York. But it hasn't always been like that for Steve. He's had a pretty tough start, hasn't he, Rich? Yes, he uh, he went for a period of sleeping on park benches and stealing food. I mean, borrowing food. Borrowing food. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's quite an inspirational story. And he's actually, you know, if, if you want a bit of background, the best place to go to is his YouTube channel. Uh, and actually, uh, when we... When he walked into the, uh, the the room where we were doing the interview, he actually had a camera, didn't he? And oh, yeah, we appeared weird. on on the uh, the video blog that he was doing. So we finally I, made it. I think yeah, we finally made it. I we think, do very much have faces I think for we're radio. On episode, I'm just looking back now. I think we're on episode eight. Oh, I don't think anyone cares. Maybe. No, there's anyway. a reason we do a podcast, not yeah, a video. We, we don't really have the. So anyway, for if it. you if you want to you know, see more about uh, uh, Stephen, then he's got a really really cool vlog. Um, check it out. You can kind of see what he's been up to. Yeah, he he made a commitment place. to his fans actually to uh, to vlog every single day for 365 days of his uh, of his entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So that's been pretty entertaining yeah, as that's well. Pretty good. Anyway, so yeah, sit back and uh, listen away. This is a really really great one. From Runway East Studios in London, welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders. Today's guest is probably responsible for the funny tweet you saw or that ridiculously viral campaign that captured your imagination. At 24, he's one of those guys who's already had the life experience of most 40-year-olds, with offices in Manchester, Berlin and New York, plus spending a small stint living in San Francisco as an entrepreneur in residence advising Bebo for their relaunch. He's accomplished quite a great deal in a short period of time and shows no sign of slowing down. At the age of 18, Steve dropped out of school and embarked on his first business, Wallpark, a social media venture connecting students with similar interests around, essentially, a digital social notice board. He then exited that business in 2013 and co-founded The Social Chain, having met a young guy called Don McGregor, who had a unique knack of creating multiple Twitter accounts and growing the shit out of them. And from there, they've been at the heart of a number of viral campaigns, growing Social Chain to a multi-million pound business, counting Apple, McDonald's and BBC as some of their clients. Quite rightly, they've picked up a ton of PR along the way, and Steve, presumably learning along the way from those he promotes, has increasingly been popping up in my Facebook feed as an inspirational speaker of his own with his own YouTube channel, therefore in his own right becoming a key person of influence. So to delve into this journey, I welcome today's awesome guest, the young yet wise Stephen Bartlett. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you for the very um, complimentary introduction. I appreciate like a that. bit of a monologue. But, yeah. You know, I had to cut down a lot of the history. You know, for a 24-year-old, you almost had more to say than Jimmy Wells did. But that might be because his Wikipedia page has gone through so much editing. Um, so just to start off with a quick fire round, just to warm you up. So oh, university academia or university of life? University of life. UK or US? UK. Manchester or London? Manchester. I'm just joking. I knew you would say. <laughs> YouTube or Twitter? Twitter. Nice. Um, Google or Facebook? Facebook. You're trapped on a desert island and can bring three things. What are they? My mobile phone. Um, a guy I know that's really smart and can solve loads of problems called Elliot. He's just really good at automating stuff. I think he'll come in handy. And probably... Um, my girlfriend, I've got to say that, haven't I? <laughs> you do have to say that, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not sure Elliot's going to be able to help me out with a lot of stuff. To be fair, if Island, you're the last people on Earth. That's the wisest <laughs> choice, yeah. Um, okay, so virtual reality or social media? S- virtual reality. I think, yeah. that's the new, I think that's the new social media, so... Yeah. Okay. 
Fine. Life as an entrepreneur in a relationship or single, speaking of things you have to say. <laughs> as an entrepreneur, I highly recommend being... Okay, I'm going to have to say in a relationship because I just I think it gives you more stability. Yeah. That wasn't quick enough. I'll do quicker. Before, if you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have said 100% be single. It's just a distraction. But in fact, I've come to learn that the bigger distraction is being single. I'm with you all the way on this. And I, I exactly the same. If you'd have asked me three months ago, I'd have said exactly the same thing. I was determined to be single because I knew that being in a relationship would be a distraction. Yeah. And in fact, I was wrong. It exactly. is the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, co-founder or do it alone? Co-founder. Do you have to say that or is that how you feel? No, I think I, I would have, I'd have 10 co-founders if I could. I feel like we'd do anyway. Okay. To be honest. Um, dance music or hip hop? Hip hop. More, uh, the most inspirational person you've ever met? I've ever met um, Elon Musk briefly in London. Met, probably didn't meet him. I was very close. I, just I said hello. I or, do you know what? Steve Wozniak. I sat down with him for a little while. That's and cool. he was he's inspirational, I guess. And he's supposed to be a very lovely man as well. I, 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 I actually met him. I didn't really meet Elon Musk. I was you know very close. And we, I said hello and stuff. But I, I got to speak to Steve Wozniak and ask him some questions, which was so, yeah. Okay. That's a great answer, to be fair. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, not too bad. Uh, person you least like on the planet? Donald Trump came to mind straight away, but yeah. I'm sure there's worse. I mean, in fairness, I was, kind of, ex- I was kind of expecting yeah. it. Um, and finally, investor, advisor, or entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. Cool. So, the story goes that you used to sleep on park benches, had no money, and even shoplifted to eat. Okay. How much of that is urban legend about the man Stephen Bartlett, and how much of it is true? And can you just tell us about the younger Steve Bartlett? Where did you grow up? And your story in your own words, way before social chain even existed. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I think back to when I was younger. My favorite, my favorite game when I was seven or eight years old was to and this game I did with my brothers, where I'd cut up loads, of, I'd write on loads of pieces of paper one, and then the other pieces of paper two, then the other pieces of paper three. I'd cut it up and I'd distribute that to my brothers. And the idea was you could spend this money that I'd made by coming to my bedroom and coming to my bunk bed and, and I would give, I'd scratch your hair, I'd give you a massage, whatever, whatever. And I just, I would, that was my favorite game to play. So I continually play it and they'd get bored of playing it. They'd just use me, you know, I'd end up getting all the money back and the game would end. Um, but I've, I've always been an entrepreneur since I was very young. And I think, I think I got to a point where my, my parents were so, they couldn't give me much because they were going through financial hardship. They couldn't give me birthdays or Christmases or anything like that. All the nice shoes in school, all the, you know, the backpack that I wanted. So I um, I started making money for myself when I was really young, about f- uh, f- 13, 14. Um, in school, selling stuff to the, the other students. I was selling cigarettes that my mum had, she'd bought this huge, no one actually knows this, but I don't think she knows it. Um, she bought this huge supply of fake cigarettes from, I, I think I actually bought them back from Africa or something. And like, they weren't legal. And she just put them up in the sauna upstairs. She's got this little sauna room upstairs. And I just sold them for about a year to, to buy stuff to feed myself. And I sold them to all the kids in school at about 13 or 14. Um, then at 16, I started a business called Excite, which was running under 18 events um, to, to people in the southwest of England. That went really, really well. At the same time, I was making the school a lot of money. I'd done a deal so that all the vending machines in the school were um, paying us as opposed to... Because the school were talking about buying vending machines. I said, we've got 2,000 paying customers here. We, you know, The company should pay us 20% of the revenue. Did that deal for the school. I was throwing all the school trips, throwing uh, it for my sixth form, um, and things like throwing all the school parties. So by the age of about 18, I was running this business, which was doing really well. Um, She's making me a lot of pocket money every month, a couple thousand pounds every month. Um, then I moved to Manchester because um, after getting expelled from, from first getting expelled from school, then getting expelled from sixth form for not attending, um, I scraped my way into like a really poor, what I think is a pretty poor university, Manchester, Manchester Met. You know, I, I really wanted to learn about business and I, I 100% intended to, to go there to learn before I went. Then I got there. I remember looking around and my perception of what university was going to be was much different to what it was. I was expecting us all to really, really, really care about business. And I was going to join a a group of like elite young people that really gave a crap about business. It wasn't that. I remember day one looking around and there was some girl, she she was like hungover and like sleeping. She didn't give a fuck about business. And everyone around me, I instantly got the impression that none of these people cared. 
None of them. And then I went to this lecture later on in the day, which I'm convinced was not the right one because I didn't have my timetable. I was guessing what room I was meant to be in. They weren't talking about business. And that was the last, that was the last lecture I ever went to. Came home, got totally distracted with a bunch of business ideas I had. And then I went to the university and told them I was dropping out. And when I met the, the business, this was about six months in. I wasn't going to, I didn't go to class. Never registered, never even got a little card thing and told the lady I was dropping out. And I had this idea called um, Wallpark. Have you ever been arrested? I've never been arrested. I've done, I've done things um, in specifically in that phase of life between the age of 18 and 20, 20 when I was trying so hard to, to create a business. I've done things which would get me locked up. Mm. And the, the story about me shoplifting and sleeping on benches, shoplifting, um, I shoplifted food frequently through the, when I after the first year of university I didn't pay my accommodation I actually paid it about six months ago from, for the whole time I lived in halls didn't pay it and then they after that year I went and lived in Moss Side in Manchester which is a really bad area and when I was living in that part of town didn't get any student loans at all ever because I dropped out too quickly um, I, I didn't, didn't realize they didn't give you any my parents sent me up there with 50 quid so I didn't have any money I had these credit cards which I then maxed out I got myself a CCJ when I was 18 or 19, because I'd spent, I'd, I had a NatWest card, a HSBC card, a, a Lloyds card, and a Santander card. I maxed them all out. Didn't understand what credit was either. So I all my credit cards were maxed out. Didn't pay any of them back for up until about six months ago. Um, well, about a year ago now, when I just cleared everything. Um, and I had no money. And, I, and when I say no money, I mean like no money. And so I'd, there'd be days where I was waking up and when I was about nine, when I was 19, starting this business, and I just was like, how much? This is pain in my stomach. I have no money. I can't just keep stealing my flatmate's spaghetti. I need to go and eat somehow. And if there's no spaghetti that I can steal off them, then I need to go and find some, you know, some way to, to feed myself. And so for about, I'd say about six to nine months, it was just total like just trying to survive there. And wasn't paying my rent. My rent was like four or five months overdue. My rent was only 280 quid in Moss Side. My dad was like occasionally sending me a tenner. So for that period of my life, I was working in these call centers, doing night shifts in like late rooms. Um, the story of me sleeping on the bench comes from when um, Virgin asked me to speak at an event in London called the IPA, 2nd of June, 2013, maybe. And I knew I needed to speak there about Woolpark, but I knew that I couldn't afford to get back. I couldn't afford to get there and back. I could get the megabus there with six quid, but I couldn't get back. So... Um, I put on my little Primark shirt and tie that I borrowed off my flatmate. Which I'm still wearing today. Yeah. <laughs> and I got on the Megabus and I went to London. And um, yeah, I, I, I went to the conference, I spoke, I got all these investors rush up to me after and all this stuff. Um, and then I went to the bus station and I slept on the bench. And I waited till the morning, went to my sister's house um, and she gave me the money to get the bus, Megabus back to Manchester. But that whole phase of my life, it was just work, working in call centres, really bad call centers selling like Facebook ads to people. Mm. Like you, I don't think you're even allowed to call someone and sell them Facebook ads, like as an independent in like a small white box in the middle of the countryside, working night shifts in call centers, selling car insurance. It's almost full circle. It's kind of what you do now. Uh, <laughs> I know, so. right? <laughs> but that was just a really, really rough part of my life. And, and to be completely honest, I was, it sounds so gruesome and think about the things that I had to do in that moment, but I was as happy then as I am now. And I'm happy now. And I think that's really important. And I think that's uh, one of the things I've come to learn about, um, like money in general and happiness. It doesn't. It didn't make me any happier. But fortunately, I was already happy. And I was, you know, and I viewed that moment of my life, all the struggles and all the hardship and all the eating crap and literally going into takeaways and hoping someone had left like some chicken bones on the side. And then if they had, I'd take it and I'd eat it. All of that part of my life, I, um, I just saw it as a, a journey. That was no, that was no, there was no part of me that considered that to be the destination. And that's why I was so happy then, because it was just a part of my story. Mm. And, I'm, and I started writing about it on Facebook. On my Facebook page, there's a day one. I'm starting this blog, and it, the first sentence on it, which I can show you, is I'm starting this blog because I know I'm going to need to show someone someday. And I have 380 or 390 days of me recording every day from the highs to the lows to like, screaming at myself for spending five pounds at McDonald's that I shouldn't have spent when I could have bought a loaf of bread. It's all on my Facebook, these private notes that I recorded. But I knew, and that shows me that it was, you know, I viewed it as a journey as opposed to my destination. 
It's interesting because it shows a lot of confidence in someone. Uh, you've obviously always had a uh, an inner feeling that you're destined for some kind of greatness or some kind of uh, greater than you are, because it's not a natural thing. Most no, most entrepreneurs we uh, interview don't say you know they started recording because they knew, and I think it's such a healthy, really interesting thing to do. And you know, myself like included, I, I started a blog three years ago when I you know look back at my first post and it's just fascinating. It is really fun because you don't know where you're going to go. But that's from the point where I had actually already incorporated the company. It was day one, companies incorporated. Let's see where the fuck this goes and let's document it, which is so different to, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to just start documenting my life. I came to the conclusion at very early, about 16, where I'd gone into secondary school at Plimstock School and I'd got the highest midges test scores they'd seen. So Mr. Diamond, the head of it now, said that I was meant to get 12A stars in school. And I flunked, I messed it all up, wasn't interested in going to class. And I came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to need education. I didn't know, I didn't, and I, when I went back and spoke at the school, I said to them, I didn't know why I believed that. I had no case study to prove that I, for some reason, wasn't going to need that. But I was just very confident that I wasn't going to. And then going into sixth form again, I stopped going. My attendance hit 30%. Mr. Sprenkel expelled me from school. And I, I didn't. I didn't care because I, I just I didn't believe that I was going to need that, even though everybody around you is telling you you need to get good grades to be something. Everybody, your parents, all every influence in your life. So there was this I was this kid that was 70 percent sure they were wrong, but I didn't know why. And I could I had no evidence to prove they were wrong. And so it was the same when I went to university, just dropping out straight away with no real plan. I was just pretty sure that I'd identified through growing up that I was slightly different to my peers. Being able to um, influence my peers, or mani- not, it sounds bad, but manipulate them to do the things that, to come with me, or to believe me, or to, to buy into me, I, I, that was the inclination that I had, that I could, I could be different. Mm. I, remember, I remember seeing this Facebook page at about 17 years old, which really shook me, and it was, um, it was that time when these Facebook pages were going viral, just with the name, and then it says, lol joke. Yeah. And it was this Facebook page, it said... Um, um, I'm going to be a millionaire someday. I just don't know how or why. And and that and it really shook me because two million people like this page to agree that they felt the same. And so for that moment, I remember seeing that page and thinking, oh my God, I'm just like everybody else. Yeah. Everybody yeah. thinks they're going to be special. Yeah. And it really, and it really, I was like, there's millions of people that have liked this page. So everybody's walking around thinking that they are going to be special. And, that, and then I just got over that. Was that like a down moment for you, though? Was that a bit of a... a Which I, remember, I just remember it. And it's yeah, strange sure. that, you know, I don't know how many years we on, you know, seven years later, I still remember looking at that Facebook page and be like, oh, my God. So, so everybody thinks like this. Just, just coming on to that then. So, um, you know, you, hit, you see a Facebook page with two million likes and it really hits you. So that's a lovely segue into how you met Dom. So um, I actually met Dom before I met you. And um, I remember him just explaining to me about him sitting in his university halls doing absolutely nothing other than creating Twitter pages on repeat forever and not really thinking about it with any kind of plan or any intention other than the fact that he was very good at it and he was doing it for fun and then met you and you basically suggested that you turn that into a commercial enterprise. What's what's your version of the story? How did that all come about? How did you meet Dom and how did the story of the social chain really start? Yeah, so I created this website after two years of like, you know, finding, building a team, finding investors. And it was a social platform for students. It was like Gumtree or Craigslist for students. And that's Wallpark, sorry, which is before social chain. That was Wallpark. And we wanted students to come to our website. And so I remember I was sat in the um, university um, working space, which I could just, I just walked in and pretended I was a student, right? So I was, that was my office. Um, and I had created a few social media pages on Facebook and I was driving people to Wallpark using them. And then I went on Twitter and there was this one page called Student Problems, which had 5,000 followers at the time. And Twitter was quite hot at this moment. And the day after it had 12,000 followers, there was an email in the bio and I, and I tried to create a student problems and mine just wasn't good. So I tried to just copy it and it wasn't, didn't work. So I emailed the guy um, and I said, hey, I've got a way, I've, got, I've still got the email and it reads, hey, um, I really like your Twitter page. I've got a way you can make lots of pound sign, pound sign, pound sign, pound sign. Um, like whatever, whatever. Basically sounding as much like an 18 year old as you could. Yeah. 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 Sounds like yeah. spam. It, it yeah. does sound like spam, but he replied, he replied saying, 
hey, I'm just doing a Tesco shop at the moment, but I'll call you, which I thought was irrelevant information to share with someone. But it says, hey, I'm just doing a Tesco shop at the moment, but I'll call you immediately after, whatever. Called me, I was like, hey, you need to drop out of university. I'm going to come and meet you. And um, I came and to met him, to meet him. I don't know what he was expecting, but I had like a t-shirt on and like my trainers, whatever. He came in a suit, right? Red I've tie. seen him in a suit, actually, and I was yeah. in gobsmacked. <laughs> so for anyone that uh, hasn't seen Dom, uh, you know, he's definitely the uh, more relaxed type. Um, and actually seeing him in a suit is a bit of a shock. So anyone Googling uh, Dom McGregor right now can uh, look at him in his usual attire of a t-shirt <laughs> in a suit. I know yeah. his Twitter profile is a picture of him in a suit. Is it actually? Now. Oh, now it's changed. Oh, so you professionalised him. That's a shame. First time I saw him in a suit, he came to my office and I actually laughed and he was really insulted. Yeah. Like, wasn't He's changed since then. Okay, fair enough. He's, yeah. he's matured a bit. So, okay, so you turned up in a t-shirt and, and I turned up in a t-shirt. This guy came dressed. He had just like polished black shoes. Bear in mind, he was a first year student in Edinburgh. He had no reason. We met in Revs. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't a, but he, it, this was a big deal to him. And he was like, I'm just so glad, I just can't believe you gave me this opportunity. I'm just blah, 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 like blubbering and stuff. And I'm like, just chill out. Like, it's just a Twitter page. Like, I said, listen, drop out of university, come to Manchester, we'll start building Twitter pages and, you know, you'll be part of Wallpark, we'll grow it, et cetera, et cetera. So he, much to his mother's dismay, drops out of university after much battle. His parents hated me up until, you know, they're fine now. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, and he came to Manchester and we just started building loads of social media pages and there was just purely student pages. So we were, started at a time where it was very easy to grow social media accounts. We knew the formula for growing them. We used all of those pages to drive people to Wallpark and we managed to get a million people to come every month through posting like content and articles and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we did that for a while. And then um, eventually it started to dawn on me. I remember I got a call one day from Spotify and I was trying to sell them Wallpark as an advertising product, but they seemed more interested in the social media pages. And I was trying to flog them Wallpark, but the reality was all our traffic was coming from these social media pages. So what was the use of the social me- of the Wallpark? All the students were on um, social media. So after a few glasses of wine one night um, in London, I just, I resigned. I'd been doing it for three years. There was five and six investors, um, some quite big investors, just sent them an email, just saying I, I'm 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 done with this now. And um, yeah. what 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 happened there? So that's very unusual, right? So how what was the uh, aftermath? Can you talk about that at all? So very abrupt. Yeah, uh, would have taken people by surprise. Did yeah. you have a replacement lined up? What was the situation? What happened? No. So I've never talked about this before. Um, so I, just being honest, I have no no other way. Um, I come to there was issues with myself and one of the other the technical founder um who i won't name and it just it started to make working with him just wasn't nice life wasn't nice i wasn't enjoying working with this person and i know i knew that i couldn't remove him um so i had faced with the choice either carry on or go myself and um my team none of my team liked working with him either they would they got to the point where they didn't like his, he was so rude to them at times that they wouldn't contact him directly. They'd contact me to contact him. And so when I resigned, I, I just sent an email saying, one night in London when I was living in Zone 3 in Canada Wharf or whatever, Canada Water, sent this email saying, you know, to the investors and to him saying that I'm done. And obviously they tried to make me stay and um, sent me many emails up, we joined because of you and all this stuff. But I was... I, I just didn't love it anymore. And I had no other plan. I didn't have this master plan of starting social chain. There was no, I had no other plan. I'd been Wallpark guy for three years, raised all this money and I was just done and I wasn't happy with it anymore. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't really care either. I just was, the you day I resigned. Right for you. Day I was, yeah, I just knew it wasn't right for me. And that for me is still my sort of like, my personal, that's, that's what, it sounds quite cheesy and it's what Steve Jobs said is, if I wake up one day and I'm just really, and I just think, oh God, this sucks, then I'll just go again. Sorry, investors. But no, that's, I said it earlier on to someone else that asked me. So what happened with Wallpark after that? Um, so the whole team left. Okay. And they all came with me to wherever I went. Um, they, which was Dom, Ash, uh, there was a guy called Jamie, um, Katie, Faye, and they all came with me. I then went traveling as a consultant um, a few of those other people who they all resigned at the same time. Wallpark went and tried to find another CEO. At one point, they hired one because I saw some guy on LinkedIn with Wallpark C in his bio. 
I saw them putting out ads on all the startup forums looking for a new CEO. It trundled along for about a year and then it went to this page which says Dan for maintenance. I think it's been on that page still today. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so you met Dom, you brought him into Walpart, that hasn't quite right, and you're actually like, actually, this, this other thing, or, 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 you know, this other thing, which isn't even a thing yet, just it's not this, but there's something here, Dom, because you have a unique skill, and I'm interested in business. Was it kind of love at first sight? You guys are pretty different, um, and, and you've got very complementary skills, but very different skills. Yeah, so the, the reason why it's worked with me and Dom is because we are very different, and there is no clashing in any area. So it's always been quite evident that I am the the more of the leader, and Dom the Dom the role Dom plays is a role that I'm either a not very good at, or b I don't want to do, whereas he wants to do. He doesn't want to be on stage. He, it's his idea of a nightmare. Whereas I, I enjoy it. I enjoy being the face, and I enjoy talking, and I enjoy selling. He doesn't want to sell. He doesn't want to pitch. He doesn't want to do. So there's all the other stuff which um, I'm you know, and it's just that really good like balance of um of temperament match and um uh, like skills match and so after i left Woolpark, um we went traveling because we i'd never been abroad as, as far as i could remember i'd never been on holiday with my family we'd never done it we went to pack we drove on the ferry to paris one um to france once to camp in in the car or whatever but i'd never been on holiday as far as i could remember ever so i didn't even understand how you did it me and dom at this point have nothing we have no business we have no job we have nothing we're sat in manchester Dom turns to me, says, do you want to get, um, let's go get some Thai food? Now, I said to him, let's get Thai food. He says, let's go to Thailand. So uh, I was like, I don't, so we're like, yeah, let's do that. Booked a holiday, booked Thailand for a month. And we're like, we were going in like four days time. And then like the day after he says, like, you need your passport. I'm like, I don't have a passport. <laughs> and we've booked it in four days. So I rush off to Wales with these like emergency passports, get this emergency passport. We flew to Thailand for a month. And then we have all these Twitter pages, people are emailing us on these on these pages saying, hey, can we pay you to post about our brands, our products, loads of companies within London, Spotify, Just Eat. So we start doing these posts. We're charging like 100 quid, 200 quid for a post and stuff like this. Um, and then, yeah, we, we lived in Thailand for a month, traveled around there, um, spent all of our money. And then on the plane back from Thailand, um, uh, I was getting a bit of an itch to start a business, I guess. I remember being, I was reading, I was either reading something or watching a movie on the display on the plane that was talking about startups and I, was, I had this bit of an itch but for the next year I was a consultant for many many companies around the world for companies in London San Francisco New York um, 
paid me a huge amount of money. I never had to come to their offices. I advised them on marketing, their products, things like that. It was a really interesting part of my life. I got to travel all around the world. I went to every major country from, spent a month in Brazil, spent two months in San Fran, spent a month in New York. And I didn't live anywhere. Me and Dom traveled together. We had no rent anywhere. So we were just going from hotel room to hotel room for a year. Um, and then one of our clients, when we're in New York, after doing this for about nine months, one of our clients said, we're launching our product. It was a, a company called Uni or Fling. They launched a few apps. Um, Marco called me, the CEO of that company, when we were in New York. He said, can you cancel your trip to Marbella? From New- we were going to go to New York to Marbella. He said, we're about to launch in September time, the student, student time for us. Can you come to our office? So we flew back from New York to London, literally lived in their office. That was our, our room. We lived on their sofa. And when the staff would come in, half the time we'd be naked, like in the morning. And then helped him launch his company. Um, and then a couple of months later, those guys said to us, do you want to turn what you're doing for us into a business? And at this point, we're getting paid a lot of money. We don't have to be anywhere. We're 22 years old, just turned 22 years old. Dom's still 21. And we said, no, don't want your money. He's like, you should turn it into a business. We're still operating, I guess, as social chain. It's not a company. It's never been established. Yeah, we're just so calling it. Just coming up with ideas. Just coming up with ideas, yeah. And then um, four months later, after Dom persuaded me quite a lot, like Dom persuaded me a lot, we were like, okay, give us the 300 grand and we'll turn it into a business. And so... They gave us 300 grand. Um, and what have they been like as investors? Are they still around, Uni? They've been bought out. Oh, they've been bought out? Yeah. Okay. They, so, did, they did pretty well. Oh, really? So yeah. you've got other investors now there. Mm-hmm. And what are they like? Has there been a weird change? No, much better. I much prefer these ones. Oh, really? That's great. <laughs> That's really good. I mean, the, the, our new investors are just fantastic. It's fantastic support, understands our vision, same vision, same enthusiasm for that vision. So we've never had any issues. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very fortunate. Yeah. So 300 grand was like a sort of seed investment just so you can sort yourselves out and turn it into a brand and... Turn it into, yeah, turn it into just, it was given 300, we were given a check. Literally. Uh, like, a paper a, check. A paper check. Don was given it. Take this to the bank. Probably doesn't recognise it. What yeah. is this? <laughs> and Don was given a check and he went walked down to that West and put it in the bank account and, um, and that was it. It was a start social chain. So we're like, okay, right. Um, we knew a couple of pe- people that were very influential in our space. We're like, and we'd been talking to them. We'd, we'd worked with them loosely like for the last couple of years. These are young kids who have a huge social followings. Millions of followers, some of them. So we're like, okay, Hannah, we know you've got 1.5 million followers. I know you want to go be a school teacher. I know you've just graduated... Um, and you're on your placement year to be a school teacher, but come with us. And so she dropped out of that and came with us. She moved to London to our little hot office in Hammersmith, which was the investor's office. And then we're like, this guy called Cahill, drop out of college, come with us. You've got a million followers. He, he came. Nick Speakman, million followers on Twitter. BBC Sport his, his, was his Twitter page. Come with us. Um, and that was basically it, rounding up all these young kids for a good period of time. And then we had this group of very influential young kids. We had me who I was able to sell and present and do all that stuff. Jumped up a lot of PR because it's an interesting story. Mm. And we built this big network of pages and, and then it started as a marketing agency and we, you know, we didn't, we didn't know what the fuck we were going to do as a marketing agency. You'll know because we, when we first worked with you, we, yep. we didn't even understand what account management was. No, absolutely. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. So you briefly mentioned a couple of the social entities that you manage. Yeah. Um, to people that, that don't know the background of social chain, tell us, yeah. you know, which, what are the other, the other big ones and how yeah. many? Yeah, uh, actually, describe social chain. Okay. Not so, what it was, what it is now. Okay, so social chain is two things. There's, there's Social and chain. Yeah, <laughs> almost, yeah. That's, I never thought about it like that. But So we have social chain, which I, I think as, as a marketing agency, we do really explosive stuff with marketing that I don't think a lot of people are aware of that that is possible. And we do that for the biggest brands in the world. The second part of it is almost like the media. I call it media chain, um, which is we just own hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of big social media pages. The chances are you follow one of them. Um, there are so many that I, I can't begin to talk about. So we have um, we have one Instagram page with 13 million followers. It's the biggest football page in the world. That's not a like a uh, like an ESPN or something. We have the biggest food page in the world on Instagram. We have the biggest fitness page in the world on Twitter. We have the biggest drinks page in the world, the biggest dog page, the biggest page about colours, about dogs, about Pomsky dogs. We have all the student pages, A-level pages, GCSE pages, the biggest Harry Potter pages in the world, the biggest Sims page in the world. The thing that you guys are very good at and have shown through uh, multiple campaigns is an understanding of the psychology behind why someone reacts 
or why an account would grow. So is that originally more your side, your skill, or is that more Dom's skill? And is that something that you do as training across the organization? Or is it just you hire people who fucking know this? Um, I think there's a lot of people in the business that have like really unique skills. Um, I think my personal skill is understanding... I've always thought it's um, an understanding of humans and what makes them tick. So I, I was really obsessed with psychology from the age of about 16. I had all the psychology books and I'm still pretty obsessed with it now. And I did psych- psychology is probably the only the reason I had 36% and not 0% at school. It's the A-level I did, I got an A in it. I was obsessed with it, human psychology in particular. I was in gambling psychology and, and those things for fun outside of school. And those things that I learned about psychology, and I wrote a blog the other day saying... Marketing is just a game of human psychology. It's this game of who understands humans the best and who's able to use that information to persuade humans and, uh, you know, I'm talking, talking like an alien, but to persuade mm. humans to, to do, the, have carry out the desired effect. And um, I think about campaigns we do now and our, the skills that I learned from gambling psychology, like last week we did something for boohoo.com where it's a live stream video and um, there's, on the left-hand side, there is... Um, an empty box it says next winner on the right there is the prize and in the middle there's a t- countdown timer it counts down 60 seconds and then it changes it picks a winner there's a question across the bottom it says what who was the female in harry potter who was the female star in harry potter and it's a live stream and it ticks down every 60 seconds the comments people are commenting saying hermione 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 then it changes we automatically pull the, someone who's got the answer correct into the live stream every 60 seconds and i learned that from gambling psychology the idea that you need a winner quickly. You need to see the prize and you need to legitimize the fact that people are winning. Things like, and I expl- I got my psychology book out to tell the campaign team about this idea. That live stream did 700,000 comments. It's the, the biggest, um, most engaged live stream by any brand ever. We also have four of the top five most engaged live streams by any brand ever. And we have seven in the top 10. And, and those will happen this month. And that's using Facebook Live, isn't it? Which is a product they're really pushing and therefore it's like a perfect opportunity for you that Facebook are the ultimate puppet master in that regard like they'll they incentivize the features they want you to use more of totally yeah so they'll get us more reach and yeah. they'll notify everybody so we just move we're just the puppet you know so if you are um you know spending your own private time reading psychology books and trying to understand the person um whilst you know popping up on my feed doing inspirational videos whilst leading a team of now 60 people um there's just over 100 in total full-time is 87 okay so we've got 10 right yes we've got 10 in new york now and we've got uh 12 in berlin four interns and manchester there's about 70 people we've got about 10,000 square feet now Knocked down two walls. Have you been to the office? No, but I've seen loads of photos of those houses. Yeah, we've just knocked down another wall. We've got a design studio in there now, which we just do content from. So, there's and then there's 15 kids that work from home doing right. like manual running communities. So yeah, brilliant. So I mean, that's a lot to keep up with. So what does a typical day look like for you? You put on your Primark shirt and tie. Pop down to the chicken shop, find a few mm. bones. Nap I don't know where I shirt. This is an exception to that. Yeah, this mind. is after you've woken up from the bench, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing after that? Um, unusual. De- my time is best used. You know, I, I spend a lot of time doing s- small things that are have very little impact. And my, all of my rest of the time is doing huge things that have big impact. I don't play in between. So I don't play in the space in between, basically. Um, I will be doing, I will be dealing with investors yesterday, doing the big plans for media chain and the big investment deals we're doing there. And then I'll be looking through the list of the people that have won the Christmas awards at the Christmas dinner party right. to make sure the right people are winning the right awards. Yes. <laughs> you might have to cut that out. <laughs> but I literally do, that's my life. I do, I do the, really, the, the, the really important stuff and I spend a lot of time doing menial things. And when I mean menial things, I mean, Person A has just been, um, I can't say that actually. Person A has just broken up with their girlfriend and they're having a really tough day and I'll go over and have a chat with them. Yeah. So I don't, and I don't spend any time doing stuff in between. I don't think that's where I should be. So I think I can have big impact on the tiny things and big impact on the big things. Yeah, that's good. So it's like the meaningful moments actually. Yeah. All of those realistically are high impact though. Yeah, no, they are, but they just don't seem to be. Like going over and just having a chat with someone you know, I can have such a big impact on someone. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, how would you describe yourself? Um, it's a really interesting question. In general, yeah. Um, I am. 
I'm an overthinker. I'm a perfectionist. Maybe not. I'm a perfectionist, or I'm like a stickler for detail. Um, I am someone who likes to maintain and set the bar for what standards should look like. Um, people around me would describe me as quite. The people very close to me would describe me as um, quite. Um, tough on small things so like my PA or Dom will say that I'm really like really tough on small things small details right okay Um, so I mean the next question actually is if we asked Dom your co-founder to describe you what would he say he would say he would say um, I've heard him describe me before and he said um, Steve cares so much about cares so much about the details very good sell very good at selling stuff um he just under this is what he said he he said on an interview i think or i think he was drunk and he was talking to a girl i used to date and he called her to just like he you know being very soppy and he said Stephen always knows how to act in every situation and that's why i admire him um which i think is i i, I get that i understand what he means there Interesting. And I think that's probably one of the the things that has led me to where I am now is just knowing how to be in certain situations, whether that's within a pitch or to you know, or with my team members or if someone I've always found that I'm 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 this quite adaptable jigsaw piece. Um so I see everyone else in the world as a jigsaw piece and my job is to be the piece that fits. So you're like Play Doh almost. Yeah, I think you know, it's without you're not trying to be fake, but there's various sides, yeah, to who you are and knowing which what side to be at a certain time I think is important. Certain members of the team you have to be very, very hard on and very, very direct. Certain members of the team you cannot do that because they will die if you do that. And knowing the different people and knowing how to get the best out of them. No one's ever left social chain. We started two years ago. We've got you know over 100 people that work within the company, and no one's ever quit. And I think that's because we I I spend a lot of time doing the small stuff, and that's you know giving them birthday presents myself and giving them a card. And um, if they're you know they're broken up with their boyfriend, I will go to their house and you know having like a, a their friend. Just so, imagining you finishing that sentence. Moving on. Um, what did Dom actually say? Well, so we did actually ask Dom to describe oh, you, and it turns out you're wrong because uh, I've known Dom long enough to know that I shouldn't have expected a timely answer at all. And as such, the correct answer was he said nothing yet. Uh, so oh, it's good. Okay. It's good that you okay. were able to say what he's already said because I do expect in three weeks Dom will finally get round to emailing me back and telling me exactly what he said. It was. Okay. But no, it's bad. But okay. um, it's just funny. But we always <laughs> like to ask our guests, and Dom so far we're still waiting. But that is okay. okay. Uh, so you already had the description. <laughs> so do you have any mentors who's helped you along the way? Um, a guy called Alistair Milne helped me at the start. What does Alistair do? Um, so when I was 18, I went on LinkedIn and typed an investor. Didn't know what the fucking investor was. Didn't know what an entrepreneur was. He was the first guy that came up. He was the first guy to invest in my business. He told me within 48 hours of me contacting him, he'd invest if I got, the t- if I got a team. Um, he turns out he was from Manchester. He started a student website in Manchester and then sold it. So for a bit stroke of luck, mm. that being the first person to come up. that so lived in my Yeah. So he helped me... F- from that, through the whole Woolpark bit, le- like learning, like basically making sure I didn't have to make mistakes that he had probably made. He um, has the number one book in iBooks called Startup Advisor or Startup Expert. Okay. It's been at the number one in free books for like years. Amazing. Did He's, he invest in Woolparks? Yeah. And so how did he feel about when that? Not happy. We haven't spoke since. Oh, really? Oh, right. mm. oh what a shame. Yeah. But it's I, nice that you remember him positively though. I do. I, I mean, I do. I'm sure he's a bit annoyed. Yeah. Because he would have seen yeah. what's happened subsequently, and and he, you know he didn't lose a lot of money. He he invested. Be, being completely honest, he was the first, and I was his broke student. He gave me five grand, oh, right. so it wasn't a huge amount of money. Yeah. But I think you know, he met me one day and said, um, "I have no idea what the idea is." He met me in a hotel in Mayfair. Not that I like, should be mingling around there when I was that age. <laughs> but he, we went to the hotel. Really Mayfair. Nice park benches around Mayfair. No, no exactly. Do you know, what? So a woman came up to me and she poured my drink for me. And I was blown away. And he went, you're really surprised. He went, you better get used to that. This woman came up and she picks up the water bottle and pours it for me. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he said to me in that hotel in Mayfair, he said, I don't know what the idea is. And I'm not, I don't particularly understand what Wallpark is, but I know you're going to do something good. And he was like, that's what I want to be, I want to be a part of. And it's just a shame that, you know, when we started the new business, that he wasn't a part of this business. So but I've reached out to him. He's not... 
Well, you never know. In the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's really good that you you remember him. I think that's really important. And Mm -hmm. it says a lot about your character as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Who inspires you? Who do you look up to? Um, Elon Musk. So I have different inspirations for different things. Elon Musk is a big inspiration. I mean, he's literally stalking him. Every single person. He's like, yeah, yeah, I almost met him on LinkedIn. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Google. I was I was actually following him around London. Uh, yeah, exactly. On his Twitter page. Now, I he I just I really like what he, there's something very authentic about his um, pursuit to solve certain problems, and I just like he, he's fearless in in you know investing his money from uh, from PayPal into another project, and he just strikes me as someone who is just is just the world is so lucky to have. Um, I don't see him as someone that cares about money. I don't, I see him ca- really sincerely caring about um, real world problems, and I think he solves them in a way which um, has inspired me. I re- when he talks about reasoning from first principles, that's something that I when I when I heard his he made this article called Reasoning from First Principles, and he did a YouTube video on it, and I, I, I watched it and I just, it just blew my mind. And I think that's and I look back on my journey and why social trainers work so well, and it was exactly that. This idea of reasoning from first principles is basically disregarding convention and what's been done before. And in every situation where you're you're faced with a challenge, just starting with first, like what you know to be true and reasoning up from there. So it could be as simple as we don't accept CVs at Social Chain because we don't think a CV is a good test of someone's ability or their you know, character. So that's one of the truths we know. So how do you how do you apply for a job at Social Chain? I mean, we've had you just proved to me, proved to us that you should work here. That's right. your job. We're a creative company. You do something creative. Like, you know what? You've got our email address. You know our address. Tell us why you should work here. It's your it's your job to you know, figure out how to get in the door. Mm. And people do. We've had owls fly in the office with USB sticks attached to their legs, and that's not even the most amazing application we've had. Some of these people get hired, but at least they get our attention. What is what is the most amazing application you've had? There was one really interesting one where I walked into the office after being out of office for a while and there was this big box on my desk and it was interesting because it didn't have a postage label on it so I thought this person's come into the office somehow and managed to get to my desk and drop off a big box and I opened this box and he was in there <laughs> <laughs> but dead oh, no. it <laughs> and it, it said across the back of the box said inmate 1592 but it was an, there was an at at the start of that and I looked in this box and there was all these clay um, tools that had been fired and they all had tags on them and the long story short that, that inmate 1592 was a Twitter page that they had started and they were, tw- they were in the office upstairs and the whole st- there was this letter in there saying I got a job in the wrong office and I, I'm trapped in here I need you to free me and she'd fired this girl had gone and fired all these clay tools there was a spade little tag on it said recovered when inmate 1592 tried to sneak through the floors it was this big box of like things recovered as if it was a crime scene I went on the Twitter page and she'd been tweeting every day of her escape to get to social chain and um, like day two inmate da 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 she gets rumbled da, da. and it was just fascinating that she'd built this big like creative story and so we got a key a big key made um, and we put it in the bathroom upstairs and we tweeted at inmate 1592 and said uh, and on the key it had uh, the interview time and stuff written tweeted at her saying you're in you know, check the bathroom for your escape whatever and she came down for an interview she got the key she came down with the key and she got a job oh, wow. she's fantastic but she's I mean she's proven to us how, yeah. how our mind works yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> okay so uh, just wrapping up then Steve uh, what is your purpose what do you so you, you grow social media accounts for people you love to inspire people um, and you love to be creative in this world, but what is the thing tying this together? What What is your purpose on earth? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? Multiple purposes. I think I'm on this like this never-ending pursuit to prove to myself that I am what I think I am. And what I mean by that is I think I am something, but I need to prove that to myself. So that's like one of my, my it's more like a personal mission. I'm proving that I am who I think I am. And in terms of the world, like what I enjoy is building great stuff that impacts a lot of people. Um, positively um, and with my personal brand stuff my, my I'm trying to create a bigger platform for me to speak to people with whatever opinion I might have because I um, that kind of ties into my overall purpose which is building great things that impact people positively um, I enjoy the building piece with the entrepreneurial piece and building something from nothing and I enjoy the impact positively piece and that's that those are the two things I really do every day um, and money just tends to be the 
the currency for success in the world that I operate in. So we get more money, it means we're more successful at objective. That's like our KPI almost. It's not something we I care about. Like, I don't care about getting more money. We, we, I got to a point where I had lots of money and could do all the things. And, you know, so build, I think that my, my life will be focused on building great things um, and impacting people positively whether that's one sentence or two separate pieces. And do you want to run social chain forever or does it have an exit in mind or how would you feel about it being part of someone else? I I have no plans to exit. Um, I enjoy waking up every day and doing what I do. And social chain has, has become quite a good platform for us to, to start new businesses and to build, start great new products. So I have no plans to exit. And finally, uh, you've obviously been given a lot of advice on your journey on the way. So what is a piece of advice you could give to young listeners now? Okay, the best piece of advice, well, it's probably one of the only ones I really remember for people starting out is the importance of not believing your own bullshit. Sean Puri said this to me, who's the CEO of Bebo. When I, when I got to San Francisco, he said, the one rule we have here is just don't believe your own bullshit. That means listen to what the numbers are telling you. Listen to what people are saying listen to the, you know, the data and all those kind of things and be delusional because you'll need to be to get past the, the hard times where you should probably give up. But just never, but know you're delusional and don't believe you're in bullshit. That's, that's my advice. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Be delusional, but know that you're delusional, which I think is great advice from Steve. For you more than anyone. Yeah, and also technically not Steve's advice, he was just passing it on. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of uh, great advice from other people, we have lots of that next week as we'll be interviewing the incredible Reshma Sahoni, who is the uh, co-founder of Seed Camp, Europe's biggest first stage fund. And she'll be taking us through some of the insights around what it's like on the other side of the table. So a lot of people listening here um, should definitely listen to that one because at some point, it's quite often you're going to want to raise money. Seedcamp probably has the best reputation, the most amount of success and the uh, highest profile of all early stage funds in Europe. And of course, it's uh, absolute success most frequently was returning its entire funds value back to investors with a partial return on their investment in TransferWise, which is one of Europe's biggest unicorns. So they took Tavit and the team there from the very first idea all the way through on this journey, just to give you some idea of the brilliance and impact that she's had. You have to be doing something right if you manage to, to repay your entire fund by and, doing that. Yeah, and not even uh, take out all your money and still exactly. got most of it back yeah. in. Yep, so make sure you don't miss out on that one by subscribing to us uh, on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and also the Google Play Store, hopefully soon. Uh, you can do that by just searching Secret Leaders or Secret Lives of Leaders or on any of those channels. Uh, we also upload all of our episodes to our website, secretleaders.com, and you can actually just download the files if you want to listen to them on your computer or something. Uh, and if you've got any feedback, abuse, comments, uh, fan love, uh, if you've got any ideas, then just email us, hello at secretleaders.com. So until next time, thank you very much for having us. <laughs> <laughs>